from Los Angeles, California. This is the Writer's Strike Chronicles, and I'm Tanya Barnes. Hello, everybody. Today is Tuesday, January 29th, 2008, day 87 of the Writer's Strike. In today's episode, Bill and I conclude a series of interviews recorded last week at the King Day picketing event in front of Paramount Studios. Here, we'll talk to Michael Perry, William Hazley, and David Rodwin. But before we begin, a couple of news and notes. First up is the fact that I booked my first gig since November on a Coca-Cola spot that shoots tomorrow. Now, in case any of you listening don't know, this is a union job and I'm working under SAG jurisdiction. For what it's worth, and for those of you that don't know, commercials and the writing for commercials do not fall under any union jurisdiction. I don't know why that is, so if anybody can explain that to my listeners and me, the number to call is 310-439-8754. It's worth noting that I am not crossing any picket lines to take this job, but having said that... What this means for my listeners is that it's possible that my podcasts, which are released daily, may suffer some fluctuations in delivery. My casting director at Central has also asked me about my availability for Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday as well. But as of yet, I have not been booked for those dates. Since I am unable to work on a podcast while I'm on the job, I ask that you please be patient with me and I will release upcoming episodes as soon as I possibly can. In fact, today I got a bunch of really great interviews at the picket line in front of Fox Studios as members of the Screen Actors Guild showed up in full force to join the WGA in Unity Day. Okay, second up are a few emails I wanted to share from my listeners. One is from a woman named Liz from Memphis, Tennessee, who wrote in to say very succinctly, I found your podcast in iTunes and have been hooked since episode one. I think it's a great show. Well, thanks, Liz, for shooting me an email and letting me know you're out there. For all my listeners who are listening through iTunes, I want to say thanks to those that left me positive reviews in the iTunes store. And for those of you that haven't done so yet, please do it. It's really simple. You launch iTunes, you click on the iTunes store, you run a search for the Rider Strike Chronicles, and click on the image featuring the picket sign. Then write a review and you're done. A special shout out to Short Fat Guy, E. Lester, Emma LaBaby, and Michael Harn, who took the time to leave me a review. Thank you so, 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 so much. Now, if you don't have anything nice to say, please don't say it in the iTunes store. But instead, shoot me an email at info at strikechronicles.com or call me at 310-439-8754 and tell me what's wrong with the show and how I can improve it. Like Corey from Toronto, who pinged me this afternoon to tell me this, quote, Hi, I love the podcast. It's actually great to hear news and what the writer's points of view are as opposed to what the media makes us see. However, the ongoing question of whether the printing press or internet is important is pretty old. All of the people you've interviewed all seem to agree the printing press is more significant, so why keep asking? Thanks for all the great work and keep it up. I look forward to the podcast every day. Well, thank you, Corey, for telling me what you think, and here's my response. I think it's a bit of an exaggeration that all the people I've interviewed feel it's the printing press. There have been several people that have said internet, and if you look at my poll that I've got running on my blog, the vote is pretty much split 50-50. So why do I keep asking the question? 
Because for everybody that Bill and I have talked to so far, it's the first time they've heard the question, and that's an indicator to me that there's still many people who don't listen to my show here in Los Angeles. So I think it means that I still need to attract new listeners. It's kind of like taking a pulse. Also, I think the reason for many people who said, because the printing press came first, it's really an explanation instead of an answer to the question. It's kind of like saying, well, the wheel's a more important invention than the car because it came first. Do you see what I'm saying? So, in the coming week, I've started to predicate the question with the notion, legacy notwithstanding, meaning that standalone, internet versus printing press, which is the more powerful technology? It's kind of like standalone, wheel versus automobile, which is the more powerful technology? You can't really compare the two based on their legacy. They have to stand alone on their technology. At least that's the way I see it. Anyway, Corey, I do want to apologize that you find that question pretty old, but here's two questions I want to put to you. What do you think, legacy notwithstanding, is the more powerful invention, the internet or the printing press, and why? I really, that's what I really want to know is why. And also, I'm wondering if you could please help me figure out another question to ask people to close out my interviews with. Okay, so would you do that for me, Corey? You can do so by giving me a shout at the number 310-439-8754 or shoot me another email and I'll read it on the podcast. Okay, that's a wrap for now. Remember, the release of subsequent episodes of this podcast might get a little bumpy, but I am committed to getting the next batch of recordings out to all of my listeners. Okay, let's roll sound with our first guests, writers Michael Perry and Bill Hazley. Okay, talking to two gentlemen here. Tell me your names. My name's Michael Perry. And William Hazley. Now, are you guys uh, writing partners or just pals? Uh, just pals. We shared an office at one point. Yes. About ten years ago. On what series? We were both unemployed. Oh. And we rented offices at Hollywood and Cahuenga. It was called the fourth floor. It was a very prominent place, actually. A lot of people came from the fourth floor. Right that was a, that was a very uh, very proactive uh, way to manifest your unemployment by yes. setting up yes. shop like yes. that. We all got work from that office. Yeah, did you? Yes. Done very well. Okay. Since yes. Everybody. Okay. Now, speak. All right. Speaking of that, how did how did you each get into the guild? Um, I got into the guild in 1991 on a television show called Erie, Indiana. It was created by Jose Rivera and Carl Schaefer. Right. Both of whom were on that same uh, block floor. of offices. Oh, okay. And that was my first Writer's Guild credit. Okay. And you? I wrote a script called A Deadly Silence, a movie for Warner Brothers Studio, and they bought it, and, uh, and that's how I got into the guild. And what were you working on when the strike hit? Yeah. Uh, when the strike hit, I had just started and done one That's week's work way. on a show called Persons Unknown. Mm-hmm. And uh, the script was written, the pilot script was written by Chris McCory, Christopher McCory, who wrote The Usual Suspects. And it had uh, elements of mystery, elements of, uh, you know, slightly, slightly outside our own world. It's going to be a very cool writing. What room. world is that? It's set in present day, but uh, seven people disappear under mysterious circumstances and wind up in a creepy one-street Midwestern town from which they cannot escape. And it was very dark. It was really smart. And during the week that we worked together, we work all morning, get very excited about the material, talk about characters, talk about story arcs. 
then we would go to lunch. We'd say, like, what do you hear? I hear we're going on strike. It's like, yeah, that's what I hear too. And in uh, the fifth day, we all said goodbye. Since then, we all had lunch together uh, once. Okay. And we email each other. But it's going to be a great show when it gets done. Oh, you email each other, huh? Yeah. That's, that's writing, don't you think? We're really emailing about personal issues. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Were you involved? What, what about you? Uh, no, I wasn't involved in that show. Uh, I was doing publicity on Chasing the Wind, mm-hmm. the life autobiography of Steve Fawcett, the man who disappeared in September. I wrote his life story. So I was doing publicity, then I was up there. And the right strike happened. I had just finished doing a pilot that I had turned in, but I have no idea what's going to happen with the pilot at the moment, since the strike is on. It's an hour pilot about uh, cops. (laughs) Okay. I'd, I'd just like to say that moments before you started recording, I said something that made Tanya laugh really hard. But then you started the tape... And it just became, you know, business chatter. Oh, really? You're welcome to repeat it. Uh, (laughs) Chances are someone else will find it. So what what is your blog? uh, What's on your podcast usually? Is it just people talking about, here's what I would do? Well, you know, it started as a project of citizen journalism. I wanted to get out on the line and get get the story because I know that the conglomerates on the networks and the news and flow of information. So I I felt there was going to be a spin on the news. So I think think that's a valid point of view. There were journalists reporting that there was a cabal of high-powered writers who were going to go financial core. And nobody could find one. Nobody could put a name on one such writer, much less a group. And it was being reported as if it were the real deal. Who was reporting this? I was reading it in uh, Variety, and I think the LA Times alluded to it. Mm-hmm. And there were online reports of it. And there just were no, there was no group. The high-level writers are being out here on the line picketing with us, writing essays, supporting the... Action. That, that is the one great thing. There's been more solidarity in this strike than in 88. Yeah. This time, the first time, the showrunners run the line. In 88, all these the showrunners did not strike. No. A lot of them didn't. And they were hyphens, so they were using their producer credits. This time, across the board, that's why this strike has been so much more successful, is because it's the guild is stuck together no matter what level you're on and the writers in motion pictures and the television writers are all together on this now you mentioned successful how do you feel like it's going i mean we i think it's been very very successful because of the writer strike in 88 and now the directors have been able to get a fairly good deal. But they only got that deal because of us. Not because what they say, the $2 million research they've done. Because the Writers Guild have done a lot of research on their own. So we set the stage. We told them what we wanted. They said no to us. And then they gave it most of it to the directors. That's usually what happens. The writers are the only ones that have the kahunas to go on strike and stand up for what they believe. Directors Guild went on strike one time for five minutes, and that's it. The reason they settled last time in 88 is because they gave the directors a with-by credit, a film-by credit, before the writers. Who's the film-by? It's by a writer. 
not a director. A director sees the writer's vision and helps that along and creates his vision from that. But really, it's a film by a writer, not a film by a director. Thank you. Having said that, are you pleased with the uh, with the results of the DGA meeting? I'm pleased that they got some of the things and uh, that we wanted. I'm concerned by the internet wage things at five hundred thousand for a show, because on the internet things are done for ten thousand. They're done for twenty thousand. So in order to get the residuals, they have to come down on a price that's normal for that medium. The stuff I don't like about the Directors Guild is saying, we'll revisit this in three years. Yeah. Because we've had that over and over again, and that just means we're blowing you off. The, in, you know, in all the previous times when we came up for a contract, they said, we have a great new breakthrough. We're not going to go on strike. We're going to revisit these issues in a new way of negotiating. And that just meant we got blown off. Right. And so the directors have said, well, if this internet thing catches on, then in three years, if there's any money in it, we'll see if we can negotiate. But by that point, they'll just say, you know, we're, we're going to give you the deal that you already have. It's just window dressing on a bad deal, the uh, notion of revisiting anything. And this is the time we're at a critical turning point in by the time three years is up, DVDs will be about as plentiful as VHS tapes are now. And very few people buy VHS tapes. It's not a real format. And the internet is going to be how you get everything. One quick story. Yeah, we love stories. I hooked up TiVo because I had a lot of time because I'm on strike. So I had TiVo. It takes a lot of time. I had low-res TiVo coming over a satellite. But then I wanted to get high-res TiVo. You have to switch to cable. So I was fine. I got the high-resolution TiVo. I hooked it up to cable. Took a couple days with technicians and stuff. (laughs) And then as soon as it was hooked up, it has a little thing the size of a cell phone that plugs in the back that found my home network, hooked up to it, and said, would you like to buy movies directly from Amazon? So it's not that that's the thing of the future. It's there in my living room now. And I looked at that and I said... Of course, I'm never going to go down to Jerry's Video, or uh, he's out of business, by the way, or go to any other video store because you can get anything over Amazon. And they're going to say that would be internet distribution. They're going to charge 10 or 20 bucks for a movie and pay the DVD rate, which would be still four cents. And that's unacceptable. So we don't need to revisit this in the future. We can look at it and say this is a real business model. And we don't want them not to get rich. We want them to get really rich. We want those corporations to thrive. We want the shareholders to be super wealthy. And we want to get a little piece of the cash flow. Now, through Amazon and TiVo, that's DVD quality, isn't it? I didn't download it, but I imagine it would be. Yeah, I imagine it would be just exactly uh, a uh, DVD quality. Right. You could order a lot of current movies, and it would come straight into your TiVo box and be there for you to watch. Mm -hmm. And that's not a future science fiction model. It's a model. I didn't press the button. I should go through and do it. So once that really takes off, the reason to leave one's house would be what? Yeah, there's... It, to it's, have fun. It's the, Other than no, watch movies, so yeah. No, I think it'll be, yeah. Right, yeah. No, I, I mean, that's an excellent point, what he just said. I didn't even realize that. I've had TiVo for a couple of years. All they do is know your telephone number and keep calling. If you can download it over TiVo, that is... That's, that's something to be that's reckoned That's the beginning with. of yeah. now. Yeah. yeah. So that we just want to be in on that economic model, and we want everybody to do... The president of the original Coca-Cola Corporation said, 
his business model, he wanted everybody who had anything to do with Coca-Cola to get rich. That was his business model. He didn't want, he had like, he sold syrup, somebody else bottled it, somebody else sold it at the soda fountain, somebody else sold it at movie theaters. His business model, he wanted everybody to do well. That's what I want. I want the shareholders of these companies to do incredibly well. For Google. And That's Google, a, yeah. if I'm working for Google, I want them to do well. No, but I'm saying that that, that was a similar... Oh, that's their business plan oh, as well. Oh, their business plan It's a great business well. plan. Google. Yes. It's a great business plan. And we're just saying we want our, our little piece. And then we'd love to go back to work. But until we get that, we're not going to go back to work and take a stupid deal. Sounds mm-hmm. right. Uh, I can't imagine who's going to listen to this. I have quite an audience. What? No, no. Oh, okay. We're going to iPod, right? And you're going to go to iPod now. Well, you can. It's, it's available to download. But when they get to a long-winded guy like me, they'll fast forward, right? I don't know. I, I'm, <laughs> no, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. <laughs> okay, What's let's What's your see. name? Michael Perry. Wasn't yes, it Michael Perry? I think yes, the Coca-Cola yes. story is most compelling and inspiring. Because it shows that somebody who invents a gigantic corporation can be benevolent. Right. No, Everybody should it was share a smart in the business pie. Plan. Yes. That's why that soft drink took over the world and not, say, Dr. Pepper. Or one of the now, the guy who invented Dr. Pepper, he was a fascist, wasn't he? He was from Waco, Texas. He was from Waco, Texas? He was from Waco, Texas. It was a prune drink that was supposed to... Uh, yeah. you, oh, so you know the Dr. Pepper story. Yeah. Is there any soft Kanye drink maven that you Pepper don't know story. about, no, Michael? Or, uh, any soft drinks I don't know any, about? Any soft drink uh, Hey, I created. used to work for Coca-Cola in college. I drove a truck for Coca-Cola. Well, yes. why aren't you rich? <laughs> I am rich in health. Yay. I uh, only work there part-time. But if you do go around the world, you'll see Coca-Cola everywhere. That's true. And if you go down in Cancun, you'll go down and you see little paths off a two-road, two-lane road, and you'll see stacks of Coca-Cola empty bottles there. You get Coca-Cola before you get anything else. It's true. Okay, legacy notwithstanding, guys. Just stand alone. What is a more powerful invention, the internet or the printing press? Which is a more powerful invention, the internet or the printing press? Depends on what century. I mean, 21st century, the internet is the more important invention. Steve Jobs just was asked yesterday, what do you think of these electronic books called Kindle? Kindle, yeah. And he said... It's a bad technology. Not because it's got any shortcomings technologically. He said because 40% of the public read one book or less last year. And he said book book reading is going out of style. So the Internet has put more power in the hands of individuals. I mean, now everybody does have a printing press. So From the Internet, yeah. But without the printing press, you might not have ever had the Internet. Yeah, that's why I said legacy notwithstanding. Yeah. So I would have to say that the printing press is equally as important. I'm a politician, so I would go with both. Yes. Both of the above. <laughs> All right. So, Michael, uh, now, now that the strike is going on, when you're not striking, do you go back to that, uh, that office that was, you know, the center of your unemployment Life. at that point? Do you go back and sort of show up and... Actually, I, we, we I, had a reunion there the other day when we were... When, when the whole parade, when we... We had the parade, and we were marching down Hollywood Boulevard. I ran into Michael, and he had run into Rivera 
moments before, almost in front of that same that, building. That was a labor demonstration. The parade okay, was the, when the Santa parade. Claus was there. But the the, the labor demonstration. <laughs> Santa so, Claus was it? Yeah, the parade? Yeah, yeah. No, a different parade. No, no, no. That was oh, a labor we had a Labor Day demonstration. I call it a parade. The, the, um, I moved out of that office November 30th, but there I run into two people who still maintain their offices over there. A guy named Alex Hirschlag and a guy named. Uh, uh, Lamar Damon and they both have their offices really? still up there still. and I talked yeah. to somebody else who's thinking about moving back so it may maybe I should but I, I moved out of there I, I now work at home because yeah. I don't have an office to go to at a studio but soon I will <laughs> parting shots as we wrap this up parting shots I pray that we get the deal that we deserve and we are strong enough to last until we get that deal Everybody wants to go back to work, but not if it means taking a stupid deal. So make a smart deal. Make a deal that's good for everybody on both sides. And we'll all be back doing what we do best, which is making up next year's shows. That's right. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was Michael Perry and Bill Hazley at the picket line in front of Paramount Studios. Coming up is David Broadwin. We have we have five minutes on this. Excellent. All right. <laughs> okay, I'm talking to a guy who's actually a friend of mine, David Broadwin. And David, you are the first writer's assistant that we've spoken to. So um, Tell me a little bit about, first of all, being a writer's assistant, how that came about, and what you're working, what you were working on. Sure, um, I was uh, actually the researcher and writer's production assistant on Swingtown. My friend Joy Gregory hooked me up with uh, an interview over there, and uh, we'd only been in production for a few weeks before we actually got shut down. So we have yet to actually broadcast any of our episodes. We have about two in the can, and. Um, as uh, an assistant, I was still around after all the writers walked until they shut down production about three weeks later. Mm-hmm. And it was a very, very lonely and sad time, both in the offices and on the set, as we kept on shooting the scripts that had been finished and approved before uh, the strike began. And I tried to keep the writers informed as to how things were going uh, on set, just so they knew that things were going well, their words were being respected and being turned into great shows. But... Uh, we're just hoping that they will bring us back and we can get back to work and start actually getting our shows on the air soon. So you've been in touch with your with your colleagues. I'm actually walking right now with Joy Gregory on the line. So, oh, uh, that's who that is. Yes. <laughs> so I, I've been in touch uh, with a few of them, not with everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been it's strangely lonely because people become a family. Yeah. Uh, and when you're outside of that group, you're sort of at, at, at wit's end at a certain period of time, and all of us want to be back in there making new work now. Right, right. Is there anything about the strike that you feel like people don't quite understand that you'd like to clear up? Any misconceptions that people have had about it? I don't know if people get the depth of the duplicity the companies are capable of. Um, I'm not sure if people get how raw a deal they originally tried to force the writers into that uh, precipitated the strike. And knowing the genesis of that, as well as the history from 20 years ago, uh, how they promised to come back to the table and give better deals as their revenues increased from new media models that they hadn't had long track records with, 
and they actually then welched on those promises to come back to the table to uh, increase as their revenues increased, sets a precedent that they're completely untrustworthy so that we have to have guarantees in place now that will grow with them as their revenues increase, which is why a percentage is so important on all of internet downloads and new media. How do you feel about the deal that was just struck up with the DGA? I feel like there's some good things in it. I feel like uh, the flat rate on on internet and new media is uh, a problem. I think uh, the directors have different interests. Some of them are similar, some of them are different. Uh, Many directors get paid more up front, and also, especially in the feature side, they have greater ability to uh, broker their own deals for different kinds of backends, which makes it so the base deal the DGA puts together is less relevant to many directors. Okay, one last question for you. Now, you and I know each other from the same synagogue, actually, and I know that you're pretty well-schooled in this. Is there anything from, let's say, the Torah or the Talmud that you're uh, <laughs> referring to now that's that's helping you through this? Well, uh, n- n- nothing I can think of that's helping me through it, but the Torah continually talks about treating your workers fairly about how when you take a Sabbath uh, that everyone else in your household also should not be working on that day. And owners and employers should treat their workers fairly, and that's not what's happening right now. There you have it, folks. God himself supports the strike. David, thank you very much. Thank you, Bill. Thanks. You have been listening to the Rider Strike Chronicle podcast, available for free through iTunes. For more information, visit us at www.strikechronicles.com. To contact us, please call 310-439-8754 or send us an email at info at strikechronicles.com.